Welcome to the Gathering Church this morning. So glad you could be with us today. My name is Robbie Denson. I'm the executive pastor here at the Gathering. And from our team, from our dream team, those are the greeters you saw walking in and the people helping you check kids in and serving your kids right now, making you coffee. That's our dream team. We just want to say welcome to the Gathering Church. Uh, if today is your first Sunday, I hope you know that we everything that we do is because we expect you to be here. We save a seat for you on Sunday, and, and we want you to know that we're glad you're here. Uh, in fact, when you came in this morning, we had one of our dream teamers, Todd, right out there handing out programs. And if you got that program today, feel free to take a look at that. That kind of lets you know a little bit about what's going on today, lets you know a little bit about who we are. But also in that program is a Connect card. And especially if today is your first Sunday, we would love it if you would fill out that Connect card with as much information as you feel comfortable with. And then after service, we would love for you to walk right outside under that tent. We've got our information center, and that's there for you, first-time guests. Drop off that Connect card, and we have a Dream Team member right out there that's going to give you a, a, a gift just for coming today. We don't want to take anything from you that you're not willing to give to us. In fact, we want to give to you today. And so... Uh, Stop by, see our dream teamer out there, and just get your free gift before you leave. Today is a big day at the gathering. We plan our, our year in October. So we knew what 2019 was going to look like, and we targeted this day because we are launching summer life groups in a few weeks. And officially this morning, all of our life groups are live on our website. You can go and sign up to be in a summer life group. They last six weeks long. You're going to have the opportunity. I'm going to tell you what you can expect. You can expect to come into a welcoming environment, sit around a table, have a meal, laugh, and get to know people because that's what our summer life groups are. We call them family dinners. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to find the gathering as a family. And so this summer, I would encourage you, I opened up my email this morning and I can already see people signing up to be in life groups. Let me just encourage you to be a part of this. If coming on Sunday is church for you, I want to let you know you're missing the biggest thing that we do, and that's putting you in places to find people to do life with. And so go right now. You can go to our website, gatherashville.org. Sign up to be in a group. You can see where they're located. You can see the leader. You can request to be in one, and that leader will be with you today, letting you know that you are officially in that group. Also, this Wednesday, we've got Newcomers Dinner. If you've joined us in the last six to eight months, we want to get to know you better. And so the best way to do that, just like family dinner, is to hang out. And so we're doing a newcomer's dinner this Wednesday uh, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Come hang out, get to meet our lead pastor, some of our other staff members, Robert Knight, who was up here this morning, our, our kids director. We just want to say, hey, we want to put faces to names. And so we would love it. Go to our website and you can sign up to come to our newcomer's dinner. We've already got several people joining us. And so you're not going to walk into a room of four people. People, don't worry about that. We're going to have a good time this week. Last but not least, growth track is today. Growth track, step one. If you want to join the dream team, if you want to be a part of what God is doing here at the Gathering Church, I would encourage you to join us today during our 11 o'clock service for growth track, step one. We'll have a host in there. It's a great way for you to learn about us and for us to learn about you. If you have kids, you can check your kids right back into our G Kids ministry. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to join us at growth track today. So we're in the fourth and final part of a series called, I Want to Believe, But. 
We've been talking about the idea that there are so many people who want to believe in God, who know there's something to it, but there's something getting in the way. There's a hurdle. There's some type of an obstacle, right? Oftentimes, we struggle to believe in God. And what we've said in this series, oftentimes the God that we struggle to believe in never existed in the first place. We've talked about uh, the, the on-demand God, the good enough God. And last week we talked about the goosebumps God. And these are all distorted views of who God is. If you've missed any of the last three weeks or you're just now joining us, I would encourage you to go to our website. You can find every message we've ever done there, gatherashville.org. I just would encourage you to go back. This morning, I want to talk about what may, the, what may be the most commonly embraced, distorted view of God. And that's what I would call a heartless God. It's the, it's the God where we say, I want to believe in God, but he doesn't seem to care. You see, I would, I would venture to say that all of us, myself included, have had moments where our circumstances have caused us to believe that God has abandoned us. Maybe you find yourself in a season right now where it's, it's hard to believe that God is present in your moment. And you know, as we look at the world we live in and we have relationship with people, it's, it's not difficult to see why people can find it hard to believe that God cares. I started looking into my own life this week to try to understand this idea a little bit better. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I hosted a block party in the neighborhood and we had 30 people over hanging out and the neighbors that live catty corner are great people. It's an older couple and three times in this joyous moment where we're hanging out, getting to know each other, several times throughout the dinner, we all looked at each other and said, man, we didn't think that we were going to actually like each other this much. We're just having fun, right? But three times in this night, the woman sitting across from me mentions, yeah, my daughter died a few years ago. She was 28, had a heart attack, couldn't make it to the hospital to say goodbye. Three times. And this is just a woman who misses her daughter. And it's not hard to identify with those who say, does God care? Right? I've walked alongside parents who want to get their children into some sort of recovery, only to find themselves running on a hamster wheel. Does God care? You know, I've lost friends far too early for reasons that seem silly. You know, I, I was two weeks out of high school, down in Florida, hanging out, on vacation, having a good time, two weeks out of high school. And I'm in the bathroom, and my sister calls me. And she says, Robbie, Billy's gone. And I said, what do you mean? He's gone. He went out on a boat. They were having fun. They were doing their thing. He jumped in to save someone who was drowning and pushed her up, and he never came up. I'm sitting there weeping in the bathroom on vacation, wondering what, why? Why did this happen? Does God care? What's going on? And here's what I love about the gathering church. This is a place where you can struggle. This is a place where you can be weak and you can be vulnerable. But it is also a place where you can grow. This is a place where you can get healthy. We don't want you to stay in a place of brokenness or hurt, but it's absolutely okay for you to start your spiritual journey there. 
We talk about four things at the gathering. Uh, We want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And you know what, what that means? In order to find freedom, we gotta get into the weeds together. And so it's okay for you to let us into the weeds, for you to get into the weeds a little bit. I believe God is willing to meet you there. And here's why I'm convinced of that. As I open up my Bible, I see that he's gotten into the weeds time and time again. I'm convinced that God is okay with our doubts. He's okay with our questions. He's okay with our frustration. He's been there for others. In fact, we read in in, in the Bible accounts of people you and I would look at as heroes in the scripture. The Bible is full of very real people who experience very real emotions just like us. In the Old Testament, David is known as a man after God's own heart. Can you imagine being known as a man after God's own heart? What are the expectations put on someone identified as the man after God's own heart? I want you to look at Psalm chapter 13 at what the man after God's own heart, I want you to see what he pens. He says in Psalm 13, he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? How many of us have ever felt like David? God, where are you? God, are you listening to me? How long do I got to take it on the chin for? Another one that gets to me is John, John the Baptist. John is the, is the cousin of Jesus. If I was the cousin of Jesus, I would feel like I had an inside route to a good, good life. John's purpose is to prepare the way for Jesus. His life is all about pointing people to Jesus. People love John so much as he prepares the way for Jesus that they begin to follow him. And he say, they say, John, listen, we know you're preaching Jesus, but we're willing to follow you. And he says, no, 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 no. Follow Jesus. I'm, even, I'm unworthy to untie his shoes. And eventually John gets thrown into prison for doing the right thing. And, and while this is not something he's excited about, you got to know what John is thinking, right? Surely, surely everything is going to be okay. I am the cousin of Jesus. I've seen his power. I've seen him heal people. He's raised the dead. He's opened blind eyes. I know his heart. I've seen his grace. He's turned water into wine. Surely John has to believe that Jesus is on his way. But Jesus never comes. So John begins to worry. John begins to see the the desperation in his situation. And John sends one of his disciples to go speak with Jesus. And he asks Jesus a question. He says, hey, Jesus, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? In other words, hey, I thought you were all powerful. Why, Why haven't you rescued me? Have you forgotten who I am? Why am I still here? Maybe we should be looking for someone else. You know what John is thinking in that prison? Where are you, Jesus? Do you even care? And I know for so many of us, most of us haven't spent time in prison, but we may be able to identify with the isolation that John felt, the doubt and the fear that he felt in prison that day. That is something that maybe we can identify with. And so when we find ourselves in a season of suffering or a season of difficulty, we can very easily begin to think like John. Do you even care? 
God, do you care about my family, about my life, my career? God, you see what's taking place in my marriage. Where are you? If that's you this morning, I want you to know that you are not alone. And as we continue on this morning, I want to make something very clear. Number one is, I cannot answer all of your questions. Because as we continue on, there's, I, I definitely got the toughest message in this series. There's not enough time to answer all of the questions. And honestly, I'll be, I'll be the first to say I'm not qualified to answer all of your questions. But here's my promise to you. I will make today. I, I may not be able to answer all of your questions. I promise to point you to the one who one day will answer all of your questions. What we're going to do today is look at two big thoughts, two big truths to embrace when God doesn't seem to care. The first is this. The first is God always has a purpose in your pain. God always has a purpose in your pain. God doesn't cause the pain, but God can always use the pain. And I don't know what you might be dealing with this morning. And for some of us, this truth is easier to process than others. You know, it could be that, that you've been laid off at work or, hey, here you are in Asheville and it's a difficult place to find a job. And you had these expectations of what life could look like and would look like and maybe should look like, but things aren't panning out the way you thought they would. Maybe you let someone down in a way that has damaged you. And you're having trouble healing. The truth is God has a purpose in your pain. Let me share with you how Peter, a disciple of Jesus, processes suffering. And, and we can continue on this morning. It, it's important to understand who Peter is talking to here. Peter is writing to encourage the followers of Christ in the Roman Empire, who he knows will face persecution under the reign of, of Emperor Nero. Things in Rome have gotten better. They're no longer being killed and murdered for being Christians, but still they're suffering persecution from every angle. The Christian culture was beginning to grow in the Roman Empire, and because of that, it was causing a lot of friction with the Roman culture that Nero was trying to create. And so this leads Peter to pen these words. Listen to what Peter shares to Rome. He says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is pointing followers of Jesus to understand that on the other side of pain is a more refined person. You are not where you are because God wants you there. I'm just convinced of it. You are not where you are because God wants you there, but because of God, you don't have to stay there. And so if you're here today and this topic is all too familiar to you, please listen to me. The way in which you handle this season of your life will greatly determine future seasons of your life. And here's why. Because a season of suffering, a season of frustration, a season of resentment towards God, that is a birthplace. A season of frustration, of suffering, is a birthplace. What does suffering give birth to? Let's talk about it. This is something I've had to process the last 
two and a half years for myself. We were a part of the original plant team for the Gathering Church, and we worked for a year and a half to get this thing off the ground. And it's kind of like when you're having a baby, and you spend the first nine months trying to figure out how to get that thing home from the hospital. And then you get home, and you're like, okay, so now what do we do with it? <laughs> like, what, what, how do I change the diaper? I made the doctors do that while we were in the hospital. <laughs> I didn't want to get yucky yet. And we had spent all this time trying to create a culture and a movement and a momentum, and we had done it. And I remember four months into the life of the gathering church, I found myself in an unfamiliar place, a place where I had lost control of very important areas of my life. I was having trouble identifying and understanding my emotions. My physical health was suffering. My spiritual health was at a very weak point. And for several different reasons, I found myself in a unique place of suffering. You know, I, I, I hadn't lost a loved one. I, I was doing pretty well on most accounts, or at least I had convinced myself I was. But that, that's oftentimes, and maybe you can identify, I'm the kind of guy that likes to bury things. And so I'd rather bury my stress than deal with it. You know, I'd rather bury my emotions than process them. I'd rather bury my insecurities than get honest about them. And I kid you not, I woke up one day with an immense amount of tension in my stomach that I couldn't get rid of. I've learned that anxiety for me takes the form of a physical response in my body. I, I feel like for me, I feel like there's, there's bees buzzing in my stomach and I couldn't get them to go away. I had buried so much that I was running out of places to put things and I was about to burst at the seams. You know, my wife began to notice a difference in my mood, in my attitude. I kid you not, it's silly. We would be sitting on the couch and I would just be doing this to the point where I was sore and Chelsea would look at me and say, what is going on? I was literally bursting at the seams. I had lost sight of my physical, emotional, and spiritual health. I had buried so many little things for so long that I was beginning to have to deal with them. And with that came a season of pain, a season of suffering. I wondered often in that season, God, where are you? Do you care? I left my home for this place, for this vision. It took me months of suffering before I looked at my wife and told her three, three words. I'm not okay. I'm not, I'm not doing very well. Something is wrong with me. I didn't know what it was, but I needed to figure it out. And I realized in that season, in that moment, that in order to get through this season of pain, of frustration, that I had to embrace a process. And a part of the process of suffering and struggling is giving birth. What am I talking about when I say giving birth? In a season of suffering, we'll either give birth to one of two things. The first thing that you can give birth to in a season of suffering, when you're asking from the depths of your core, God, do you care? You're giving birth to something. The first thing you can give birth to is anger. When we give anger room to grow, room to develop, it turns into something. Anger, given a place to grow, turns into doubt. God, do you even care? 
It turns into frustration and resentment and anxiety and insecurity and emotional instability. And you know, giving birth to those thoughts, giving birth to anger, those emotions, that's a part of being a human. We've all given birth to these types of things. The question is, are you going to allow them to grow? Are you going to allow them to take root in your mind and to develop in your heart? The second thing we can give birth to is hope. In a season of suffering, of difficulty, when you're wondering if God cares, there's an opportunity, there's good news here. There is an opportunity to give birth to hope. And when we give birth to hope in a season of suffering and we allow ourselves to let it grow, we eventually discover the purpose in our pain. Giving birth to hope in a season of difficulty makes way for healing and for restoration. You see, I'm just convinced that that God wants to walk with us in our pain, that he wants to use our pain to refine us, but it requires you and I to have hope And not just to give birth to it, but to allow it time to take root in our minds, to allow it to develop in our hearts. Because when we allow hope to be birthed and we give it the time necessary to grow, we'll begin to discover the process towards healing. When we allow hope to grow, a few things happen. It turns into a few things. Hope gives birth to intimacy with God. Hope creates an avenue for very raw and very real intimacy with God. In that season of my life, I chose hope. And you know what hope did? It drove me to my knees. Because I realized I had been trying to do this in my own strength. And the only place for me to be strong was on my knees, giving it to God. There was an intimacy in that season of my life that took me to a place of greater hope. Something else Hope develops into, and this is huge, intimacy with others. You see, God gives us others to find freedom. And so often we refuse to step into freedom because we aren't willing to open our life to others. We'll begin to discover new relationships. Here's the unique thing about suffering. People who have suffered are uniquely equipped to help those who are suffering. I share my, my story of anxiety and how it affected me often. And the amount of times I get a text or an email saying, hey, let's grab some lunch. The things that you talk about, those bees that you talk about, I got bees inside of me. People who have suffered are uniquely equipped to help those who are suffering. And when we give birth to anger and we allow it to grow, It blinds us from seeing the relationships God wants to use to help us in our seasons of difficulty. Hope, on the other hand, reveals to us the people God has put around us to walk us towards freedom. I want to look back at David in Psalm chapter 13 where David is crying out to God. And I want to read the psalm again and I want to show you what hope looks like. Back to Psalm chapter 13, it says, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fail. David is in a place of pain, in a place of loss. He's frustrated. He feels alone. He's not sure if God even cares. And David is about to give birth to something. This next moment in David's life is very important. Let's read the next two verses. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. In the midst of his pain, David left some room for hope. He found himself in a place where he was saying, God, I'm not okay. I'm not doing well. God, do you even care? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. He says, you have been good to me. Let me ask you something today. In your season of difficulty, in a season where you aren't sure if God cares, what have you given birth to? How you handle this season will greatly impact your future seasons of life. Have you given birth to hope? You can do that today. The second truth I want you to lean on in a season where you're not sure if God cares is this. God is present in your pain. God is present in your pain. Much of the New Testament was written by a guy named Paul. Paul spent much of his life in opposition to God and and through a, a series of events, He's radically changed, and he's on pursuit of the gospel. He's on pursuit to share the gospel. And in Paul's time following Jesus, he is shipwrecked for the gospel while traveling to share it. He's thrown into prison on three separate occasions, beaten, left for dead. He's been stoned on the account of being a follower of Christ. There were times when Paul's closest friends would desert him during the most difficult seasons of his life. Maybe you can relate. Paul knows what it is to suffer. And on one occasion, Paul is calling out to God to relieve him of his pain. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we are told that Paul has a thorn in his flesh. This thorn is a representation of some pain in Paul's life. We don't know what this thorn is. It it may be a physical pain. It may be a mental struggle. We're really not certain as to what's going on with Paul, but we know there's a thorn. There's something nagging at him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul pleads with God three times, take this thorn away from me. God, I need, take this, take this pain away. Take this suffering away from me. And I want to look at how God responds in verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul wanted God to heal his pain, to fix his problem. Paul wanted God to relieve him of his burden. 
And God said no. Paul was telling God what he needed and God was telling, no, I am what you need. You know, I believe someone needs to hear that this morning. That in your moment of weakness, that his grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God said, I'm not, I'm not going to give you what you want, Paul. I'm going to give you what you need. And what you need right now is me. What you need right now is my presence, my grace. I didn't cause your pain, Paul, but I can ease your burden. Here's what that means. You see, so often we want God to take away our pain. But if God takes away your pain, you'll never discover its purpose. And you might be here today and say, I would, hand up, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Maybe you think you don't need to understand the purpose of your pain, but let me explain it to you this way. If God takes away the pain that you feel in your relationship to your spouse, it doesn't heal your marriage, right? If God takes away the pain of a divorce, it doesn't heal your marriage. It's easy for us as people to say, I don't want the pain. God, get rid of the pain but I still got to turn around and deal with life. If God takes away the pain you feel from the loss of a loved one, it does not bring that person back. If God relieves you of your pain, it will not remove the thing that is causing you pain. But if you allow God to walk with you through your pain, you'll discover its purpose. And like gold that is refined by being thrown into the fire, you will be refined by making it through the fire. When we recognize that, that God is present in our suffering, we allow ourselves to grow through our pain rather than just rid ourselves of it. Paul was able to embrace this truth. God didn't remove his pain but he recognized that God was present in the midst of it. Paul would go on in that same chapter to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's not saying I enjoy the pain. I enjoy the suffering. What Paul is saying is that I recognize that through this pain and through this suffering that God is doing something in me. You know, I was thinking about it this morning. Life is really hard. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, life is really hard. And I just know for me that if I don't have Jesus in my life, I just got to live a hard life. And I just got to figure out how to wake up tomorrow and just deal with the pain, deal with the hurt, deal with the confusion, deal with the anxiety. But man, I've been given a resource. And, and what, that resource isn't telling me what I want to hear. Robbie, I'm not just gonna, there, Robbie, you're dealing with anxiety, you're dealing with insecurity, you're dealing with identity. I'm not, there's a process for you to walk towards healing. And I think some of us need to get on the path to healing, but accept that it's a process. 
that there's purpose in your pain, that he's present in your pain, and he's got a story for you to tell. He's got a story for you to tell. I walked a young couple for a year and a half through a marriage that I even thought was gonna end. I remember telling my wife, I think she's waiting for the holidays to end, to, to tell him it's over because she doesn't want to go see the family. She doesn't want to go be a part of all of that, knowing that they're married. I remember saying, Chelsea, in January, we got to be available to this guy because he's getting divorced then. But what I didn't know is that God was doing a work and this couple had embraced a process that took a year and a half. And I talk to these people weekly. And I look at where their life is because they said, I, I'm dealing with some pain. And they said, you know what? There's got to be a purpose in this pain. God has to be present in this pain. There's got to be a story for us to tell on the other side of this. God, do you care? The answer is yes. Embrace the process. People who have suffered are uniquely qualified to help those who are suffering. I give this guy's number out weekly. I give this woman's number out weekly because they've got a story to tell. They are uniquely equipped to partner along those who are on the verge of divorce. You are uniquely equipped or you could be uniquely equipped to be a part of someone's freedom. But you got to get into the process of healing. The day I told my wife I wasn't doing very well was the day I decided to give birth to hope. And because I let hope grow in me, I was able to develop an intimacy with God that I've never experienced before. It wasn't easy. I went to see a few doctors. I had some insecurities to work through, but I looked back and I chose to be weak to my wife. I pulled three men around me and I chose to be weak. And I said, guys, I'm not doing very well. I chose to be weak. And in that moment, something happened in the spiritual. I chose to be weak and he chose to be strong in me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I've been able to use that season of my life. The God who doesn't care does not exist. God has a purpose in your pain. He is present and he wants to see you through this. Embrace the process. Let's pray. God, this morning I thank you that we are able to come to you weak, broken, damaged. And you say thank you. I've been waiting for this moment because you've been leaning on you for too long. God, this morning, some of us in here need to say, God, I am weak and I need you. Come alive in us. Come alive in us this morning, Jesus. Help us to see your heart. Help us to see what you're willing to do for us. In the name of Jesus, amen.